something that I want to share with you tonight that I think you will find very interesting. I, I thought about bringing a banana up here tonight to illustrate this point. And the only reason I didn't is because I ate the last banana that I had at my house yesterday. But you may never have thought about it this way, but the Bible is a lot like a banana. You know, if you eat a banana, you peel the banana one seam at a time, right? You just peel. Did you know when you read the Bible, the Bible has seams, just like a banana. A banana peel has seams, or a coconut has seams. The Bible has seams. And so when you're reading the Scriptures, when you're studying the Bible, let's just take Philippians chapter 4, which is where we are tonight. There are five seams, or you could call them themes, in Philippians chapter number 4. The first one would be on anxiety. The second one would be on our thought life. The third one would be on God's power at work in us. The fourth one would be on contentment. And then the fifth theme in Philippians chapter 4 would be on God's provision to meet all of our needs. And so tonight we're going to look at all those verses. But what I'm saying is in an ideal world, the best way to teach Philippians chapter 4 would be to say to the congregation, over the next five weeks we're going to study these five themes. We're going to have a study on anxiety and on all those other four themes. And then when you left, you would say, okay, I got a clear teaching on each one of those themes. So when I say that sometimes if you just say, I'm going to teach out of this whole chapter, what you're trying to do is you're trying to put all of that under one heading, and it can be a lot of material. But still, I wanted to do it that way because I think at the end of tonight, if you've been here with us the other three nights, that you would be able to say, I have learned a lot about the, some key scripture verses in Philippians chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 3, and tonight in Philippians chapter 4. Let me say this at the beginning of our time together tonight. Philippians chapter 4 contains some of the greatest Bible verses in all the New Testament. Some of my favorite verses in all the scripture tonight, are, we're going to be looking at them in Philippians chapter 4, and so that the sermon will have some theme to it, so that there'll be some consistency, so that I don't just stand up here and teach for eight minutes on anxiety, and eight minutes on our thought life, and ten minutes on contentment, and then ten or twelve minutes on each, and just have disjointed sermon. What I'm wanting to do is to take all those topics and put them underneath a greater theme, which is, I'm calling tonight, how to deal with anxiety. Because as we go through this tonight, I think, in fact, these other four themes can be tied back in to the theme of anxiety. In other words, if you are struggling with anxiety, if you are an anxious person, or you're going through a season of anxiety, I wouldn't call myself personally an anxious person. Some people might call me an anxious person. I wouldn't call me an anxious person, but I would have to say, if I was being honest, I have seasons where I feel like I am struggling a little bit maybe with I, instead of anxiety, I would just, sometimes I have a feeling where I just feel overwhelmed, and I'm not alone in that. Everybody, I think, feels sometimes the responsibilities, the things I'm supposed to do, and it's all coming out, and I just, it, we have this feeling of being overwhelmed. And so tonight, I want to do a sermon on how to deal with anxiety. Now, I'm curious, how many of you would say that you ever struggle 
with, but, but wait, before I ask that question, I should tell you what anxiety is, right? I should, before I ask you if you struggle with it, I should give you the definition and then you can decide if this is something you struggle with. Okay, so what does anxiety mean? Well, the English word for anxiety, it ha, it comes, it's a hybrid word. It comes from two different words. The first part of that word, anxious, anxious or anxiety, comes from the word angst. A-N-G-S-T. You've heard that word. Probably a German word in its origin. Angst. It just means to be, to be uptight, to be unsettled. You're, just, you're like that. And then the second half of that word, anxiety, or je, it has with it the idea of losing your breath. And so the word picture here is somebody who has so much angst. They're so uptight. They have so much stress. Whatever's going on in their life that it has almost made them lose their breath. So that is the meaning of anxiety. Now, in the, that's the English word, anxious or anxiety. In the Greek language, the word anxiety literally means to be divided. It, it kind of, you say, to be divided how? To be divided in your mind. An anxious person has a divided mind. Should I or shouldn't I do this? Can I or can't I do this? Will this happen or will this not happen? I'm really not sure. If I step out in faith and make this decision, will it work or will it won't work? And so the anxious person is trying to figure out, is this a good idea or a bad idea? And it's kind of like a seesaw. And they're just kind of going back and forth. And so they're uptight, and that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it can almost make you feel like you're about to lose your breath. Now, I've mentioned to you before, in fact, I think a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I mentioned a book by Max Licato called Anxious for Nothing. I read this book earlier this year, and the subtitle is Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Let me just read you the first page of this book. He's describing now anxiety, and so at the end, I'm going to ask you, How many of you ever struggle with this? He said, it's a low-grade fear, an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as the certainty that one is coming, always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax. You can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary and short-term. It's not the sight of a grizzly bear, but the suspicion that there might be one out there behind every tree, behind every turn. Inevitable. It's just a matter of time until that grizzly leaps out of the shadows, bears its fangs, and gobbles you up, along with your family, your friends, your bank account, your pets, and your country. There's trouble out there, so you don't sleep well. You don't laugh often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle as you walk. And when others do, you give them a look. That look, that are you naive look. You may even give them a word. Haven't you read the news and heard the reports and seen the studies? Airplanes fall out of the sky. Bull markets go bare. Terrorists terrorize. Good people turn bad. The other shoe will eventually drop. Fine print will be found. Misfortune out there lurks. It's just a matter of, of, of time. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if I don't close the sale? What if we don't get the bonus? What if we can't afford braces for the kids? What if my kids have crooked teeth? And on and on and on he goes. And he's describing anxiety. So again, it's this, it's this feeling. It's a divided mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? And it can cause a person to have angst, to be uptight, 
not be able to relax, stressed out all the time, on edge, and sometimes you feel like you're about to lose your breath. So with that description, how many of you would say that you ever struggle with anxiety? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. That's, that's, turn to the person next to you and say, you should have raised your hand. No, I'm just teasing because most people did raise their hands tonight. And so that says that anxiety, and the first thing I would want to say before I even get into the scripture tonight, anxiety is a very common problem. The reason I want to say that and make that clear is if you think it's uncommon, you'll become even more anxious because you'll say, what's wrong with me? I don't seem to be handling my life as well as everybody else is handling their life. I'm uptight and stressed out, and everybody else seems to be laid back. Well, you just saw that probably 95% of the people in this room raised their hand and said that sometimes they, too, struggle with anxiety. And I'm telling you, sometimes I struggle with it, and yet struggling with it is one thing, living with it is something else. In fact, struggling with it is probably just a part of life. There are a lot of things that can happen. You get a phone call something bad, or you get a bad diagnosis at the doctor, and you just have this feeling come over you. That's, that's fairly normal. But if you just live with that anxiety, I'm not necessarily saying that even that's abnormal. I'm saying it's unhealthy. It's not the way God meant for you to live. And that is not the abundant Christian life that is available to us in Jesus Christ. He wants us to be calm and relaxed and the opposite of all that anxiety. And so let's just dive right in tonight and thinking together about how to deal with anxiety. And I want to mention five things tonight. In fact, these are five things that you can do that will minimize or lessen your anxiety and make you a more calm and a more relaxed person. So in Philippians chapter 4, look with me in verse number 6. And by the way, one study has said that Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7 are the two most frequently underlined verses in all the Bible. For people who read their Bible on a Kindle and they underline and they have ways to measure all that, record all that, these are the two verses that are most frequently underlined. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now just let those words set in. The Bible is saying to the, to the person out there tonight who has angst, uptightness, stressed out, can't sleep, can't relax, listen to the Word of God, be anxious for nothing. So that's the command. I'm thankful that God tells us how not to be anxious. He says, but, so he's giving us now the antidote or the cure for anxiety, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so whatever it is that might be causing the anxiety in your life right now, what God is saying is, take that thing and put that in God's hands in, through prayer, put it in His hands and trust Him with it. In fact, the way I like to think about Philippians 4, 6, when it's, we think about all these things that can make us anxious, it's this, it's this two-step approach. Give it to God and trust God with it. I want you just to think about that. You give it to God, that's half of it. And then you trust God with it. And that's why it says, when it's describing how we're supposed to pray, it says, with thanksgiving. 
that, that part with thanksgiving implies that we're thanking God for taking this burden off of us. So we give it to God and we trust God with it. And so if, if we put it in God's hands, then the anxiety is going to begin to go away. And look what's going to happen in verse 7. And as a result of that, as a result of giving it to God and trusting God with it, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God. Now, it's interesting. In the Bible, we read about peace with God, and here we're reading about the peace of God. And you might think, well, there's no difference in that. Same thing, just two different prepositions. But actually, that's not true. There is a difference. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting Him to forgive you of your sins and to save you, in that moment when you were saved, you entered into a peaceful relationship with God. In other words, the war with heaven was over. Did you know that before you got saved, you may not have thought about it this way, before I got saved, we were really at war with God. God is holy and righteous and perfect. We are unholy, unrighteous, and unperfect apart from Christ. And so it's like God was on one page and we were on another page. But when we placed our faith in Jesus, then we became in Christ righteous and holy and blameless in God's eyes. And so we we entered into a state of peace with God. So a person can say, I'm at peace with God. Peace with God is is a very objective thing. You may feel it, you may not feel it, but in the Scripture, when it talks about being at peace with God, it's not so much talking about a feeling, an emotional feeling. It's talking about a state. Uh, This is how we are. Like tonight, we are inside the walls of the First Baptist Church in Pasadena. That is where we are. This is our location. Now, you may be daydreaming. In your mind, you may be at Papacitas. You may be at, you may be at some other restaurant. You may be at Thanksgiving Day. You may, you, but the fact remains, you are in the church building right now. That's where you are. has nothing to do with your feelings. So peace with God is a, is a place. It is a state. It is how we are. The peace of God is, is a more subjective thing. It's a more feely, it's an emotional thing. You can feel that. So the person who says, who has the peace of God, that literally means that person has the peace that belongs to God. And so tonight in heaven, let me ask you this question. Do you think God is peaceful or unpeaceful? God is at peace. You think God is uptight or is God relaxed? God's very relaxed tonight. And so the, that, that's, that, those are the qualities that God has. And so when we have the peace of God, we do feel that. We feel it in our spirit. We feel it in our mind. We're calm. We're relaxed. This is what some people have described the normal condition of Christian people. Or by normal, they mean this is how it's supposed to be. A healthy Christian is experiencing the peace of God. And yet sometimes we lose that peace because of circumstances, because of we're worried about, as Max Licato said, is there a bear out there behind the tree, or is it going to be okay, or what's going to happen to me? And so we can, that can happen to us, but the peace of God is something that we can feel. Now, notice what this peace of God will do. First of all, it says it surpasses all understanding. 
And so you can't even, I, it's, I, it's impossible for me to explain something I myself can't even understand. Because the peace of God surpasses our understanding. But here's what it does. It will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. And so when a person is experiencing the peace of God, his mind is relaxed. His heart is calm. When it says here, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, it's talking about like like a garrison or a fort. It's almost like God has built a, a wall around you. And God is not letting those outside things, real or imagined, sometimes the imagined ones are worse than the real ones, but God is not letting those things cause you to lose your peace in your mind and in your heart. And so the peace of God is a very precious thing. Some days we have it and some days we don't. But if we are not having that, what we have to do is to do a little inventory on ourselves and to say, now God, what what has happened to me? How have I lost my peace? Some people call that peace our sweet spot. I've heard pastors describe it that way, that we sometimes they get out of their sweet spot. I've heard other pastors call that the this place of peace as your anointing. It's the place where God wants you to be. But sometimes we lose that peace. Maybe we get out of that sweet spot. I'm preaching tonight out of a Bible I've never, I seldom preach from. It's, my, it's a Dr. Stanley's uh, life application Bible, his study Bible. And in his footnote on these verses of Scripture, here's what he says. Anxiety wanes and eventually disappears when we take our concerns to God who has the power and the wisdom to take care of them, believing that He always has our best interest at heart. Now, one, the, reason I, the only reason I'm preaching out of this Bible tonight is so I could read you that quote. And I love how he said at the beginning, anxiety wanes and eventually disappears when we take our concerns to the God who has power and so on to take care of us. I love those two verbs, wanes and eventually disappears. And so tonight, if you've come to the service and your angst level, your anxiety level is a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. You say, John, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to sit in this chair, in this pew, long enough for you to finish this. I'm just so uptight. Well, what I would say to you tonight is, more than likely, when you leave this service, you're not going to be at a zero. If you came in here at a 10, you're probably not going to leave here at a zero. So that's okay. I think sometimes when we hit an 8 or 9 or a 10, we want that to go away so quickly that if it doesn't go away, it even makes it worse. And so sometimes when we get like this, we have to remember, I love how Dr. Stanley says this, anxiety wanes and eventually disappears. So as you continue to give those things to God that are troubling you and to trust God with those things, little by little, it's going to go from a 10 to a 9 to an 8 to a seven, maybe back up to an eight. Okay, you got to pray again. Trust seven, six. Now it's going to jump down to a three, and eventually you'll wake up one day and you'll say, "I'm my old self again. I'm not even anxious. My mind is clear. My heart is calm. I'm not in a hurry. I'm able. I slept good last. Slept well last night. And so I love this. It takes the pressure off of how quickly we try to make it go away. Anxiety wanes and it eventually disappears. Remember this. Whatever you're anxious about, more than likely, you didn't get anxious overnight. It was probably a 
process of things that built and built and built and built, okay? Well, common sense would say to us, if you didn't get that way overnight, more than likely you're not going to relax overnight. Now, you could. God could touch you and speak to your heart and just lift it off of you instantaneously. God can do anything. But more than likely, it's going to be a process of time, and more than likely, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to happen overnight. One of the best ways I've ever heard this described Stress, you can call it anxiety, stress, feeling overwhelmed, being burnt out. It's all the same thing. It's like a pie. And the, it's, it's more than likely not one thing that did this to you. There are a lot of pieces. There may be 8, 10, or 12 pieces to this pie. And so I think sometimes if we're stressed out, we might think, oh, it's my job. I think a lot of people do this. I think... Uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm just so stressed out, I've got to quit my job and go get a new job. Well, that's probably not, that's probably not the wisest thing to do because in reality, that job that you're stressed out over is probably only about 8 to 10% of your stress. Maybe it's, maybe it's more, maybe it's all of it. But more than likely, it's your job, it's your finances, it's your health, it's your children, it's your future. It's your own imagination, and don't ever forget the devil out there. You believe the devil's real? Say amen. Now, see, God wants you to be at peace. Did you know the definition of peace in the Bible is oneness? Now, think about that. The biblical definition for anxiety is to be divided, a divided mind. Peace, oneness. So the person who's at peace, his mind, his heart, it's all one. It's all, there's a calmness. So if God wants you to be, we would just say it this way, the person who is at peace has it together. There are a lot of times in my life, honestly, I just feel like, you know, right now I've got it together. There are other times in my life I say, man, I've got to get it together. You know, I feel like I don't have it very much together. Well, when I have it together, I'm at peace. When I don't have it together, I'm, I'm divided. I don't, I'm anxious. I'm, I have the anxiety. But what I'm saying is, if you're struggling with this, you have to step back. And you have to look at your life and you have to say, okay, John's probably right. It's not just my job. It's, 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 it's a pie. And you need to begin to try your best to identify all the different pieces in the pie that may be causing you to have this stress. And then you deal with it. You don't run from it. In other words, if you say... Well, my job's causing me stress, my family's causing me stress, uh, everything's causing me stress, so everything that's causing me stress, I'm going to just run away from it. You can't live like that. You'll be, you'll be a hermit. You'd be, in a, you'd be living in the backside of the desert by yourself, removed from everything that's causing you stress, and then you would be stressed because you was living on the backside of the desert. And so you don't, when you identify the peace that is causing you stress, that doesn't mean that you swap that out for another piece. It means you say, okay, my job is causing me stress. How can I deal with that? Am I working too many hours? Am I taking my work home with me? Have I become obsessed with my job? Okay, I'm not going to quit my job. I'm going to deal with it better. Same with family. Having stress with the kids. Well, you're not going to abandon your children. That would be the, terribly, you can't do that. So you say, okay, we're having some problems at home. How are we going to deal with these problems? And you start trying to figure out with God's help how to deal with it. You put it in God's hands, and then you trust Him with it. And remember, eventually, not immediately, but eventually, 
that anxiety level will begin, kind of like a fever. Somebody has a fever, you give them Tylenol. That fever doesn't go from 103 to 98.6 just like that. It has to kind of come down at its own speed. Well, the anxiety is kind of like a, an emotional fever, uh, a psychological fever, all right? It didn't get up there immediately, not going to come down immediately, so we just have to trust God with it. Do you see how at the beginning, I was talking about the banana and the Bible, and it has peels and it has seams, and... What I just have done right there is pretty good explanation of the anxiety part of that. You give it to God, and you trust Him with it, and then it will get less. Now, I do want to mention these other four steps, but I'm not going to take near the time on any of them. And I know you want to say hallelujah because of that, but I'm just not going to take the time on that. But these other four steps are some additional things that you can do. In addition now to putting it in God's hands, trusting Him with it, and dealing, properly dealing with whatever is causing the stress, not running from it, dealing with it. The only time I would ever tell you to run from anything is if you don't feel safe. If you feel like your life's in danger. If you feel like your safety's in danger. I would tell you to get out of Dodge. God would tell you to get out of Dodge. The Scripture says the righteous or the prudent See danger and take refuge. So sometimes you may need to run. But other than safety, I would advise you not to run. But if, you, if you're danger, I would tell you, get out of Dodge. But the second thing you can do after you put it in God's hands, take control of your thought life. Take control of your thought life. There is a direct connection between wrong thinking and anxiety. Because wrong thinking is motivated Again, ultimately by the devil, but behind that wrong thinking is fear. Worst case scenario. What if this happens? And that's, that's not of God. Remember what it says in the scripture in Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Say that with me. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I'm thinking wrong or thinking wrongly, then everything about my life is going to be messed up. But if I'm thinking rightly, if my thoughts are right, then my life and my, my feelings, my emotions are going to follow that right thinking. Now, in, again, in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul does an excellent job talking about the importance of our thought life. Look down in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely... Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think or ponder or consider or turn these things over in your mind. So, but notice the first thing Paul says here. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are true, a lot of the thoughts that cause us to be anxious are, are false thoughts. And they're thoughts that the devil, the devil drops in our mind about some situation that either might happen or could happen. And we think, what if that does happen? And our minds go down there. And it's like sometimes, I think what the devil does, he'll put a thought in our mind and we'll, we'll go off down into the future and say, well, what if that does happen to me five years from now? Or what if that does happen to me 10 years from now? And so we begin to imagine 
what would that be like? And we begin trying to figure out, now, how, what's that going to be like, or what would that be like if that happened? But the problem with that type of thinking is, if in reality any of those things ever did happen, you would have the grace of God to help you deal with those things. Does that make sense? So what the devil wants to do is to get you in a hypothetical thinking game 10 years down the road, and you think, man, if that happened, that would be awful. But what, what's not being factored in that thought process is the fact that the grace of God would be there for you in that moment. And it, so what I'm saying is it wouldn't be as bad as you think it would even if the worst imaginable thing happened. I imagine all of us here tonight could say that we've been through things in our lives that had God told us five years in advance what we were going to go through, we would have said, God, there's no way I can go through that. And yet we went through it. And when we went through it, we put it in God's hands. We trusted Him with, us, with it. Somehow we had the peace of God which surpasses understanding. I've had experiences like that in my life. I, and I'm no different than you. The, the circumstances may be different, but the fact that we've been through things are, is, is, is certainly not different. I look back over certain things I've been through in my life, and I thank God, how in the world was I able to go through that and that and that? And when I was going through it, I had perfect peace. Well, it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And some of you have been through things far worse than I've been through. You may be going through something tonight infinitely more painful than anything I've ever been through. And yet, you're sitting there tonight and you've got peace. And you're thinking, How? what I've noticed is, in my own life and I've noticed it in other people's lives, when, when a Christian really goes through something hard, somehow, and it gets back to the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, somehow God during that season just lifts that burden off of our minds and off of our hearts and we're able to go through it with a peace in our hearts that, again, it surpasses understanding. And then sometimes years will pass and we look back on that and we say, man, how in the world did that happen? That, that, I, that I didn't freak out, or how did I stay so calm? It's the peace of God. So what I'm saying is, when the devil begins to put those thoughts in your mind about the future, what if this, what if that, what if that, what you have to understand is, if any of those things ever happened, the grace of God would be so real for you in the future, just like he has in the past, that you would be able to stay calm, and you would be fine, and God would take care of you. So don't meditate on what ifs. Meditate on what is. What is? God loves you. God is in control. God's going to cause everything to work together for good. God's never going to forsake you. God's going to fulfill His purpose for your life. God's going to bring good out of bad. That's the thing you want to focus on. You get over here in this what if category, and we may all be crazy by tomorrow morning if we do that. You get over here in this what is, but what is? God, I'll tell you what is. God is what is. God is. And I focus on God, and I say, God, I'm going to trust you through this, and I'm going to take control of my thought life. I remember one night I was home, and I was thinking about something along all these lines, what I'm talking to you about tonight. And I felt like God spoke to my heart, and I felt like God, clear, I know He did, clearly spoke to me and said, John, if you will take control of your thought life, you will live a victorious life. All you have to, that's all you have to do. Take control of your thoughts. Think about 
Bible promises. Think about the character of God. Think about positive things. If you think about that, your feelings are always going to follow your uh, thoughts. You remember back years ago, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he, he and Billy Graham were the first to kind of come up with what we call the four spiritual laws, helping people to be saved. And in that Steps to Peace with God or Four Spiritual Laws, Dr. Bright had a drawing, and I want to come back probably on a Sunday morning and do a whole sermon on this. He had a, a picture, it was a train, and the train had three parts to it. You had the lead car, and then you had another car, and then you had the caboose. And he, so I, I know you can't see that on the screen, I don't have it up there. Just imagine though, you've got the lead car, and then you've got another one in the caboose. And he said the lead car is called fact. The second car is called faith. And the third car is called feelings. And his whole point was, if we will put our faith in the fact of God's Word, our feelings will follow. You see, so many times in life, we follow our feelings, and that's what gets us in trouble. You have a feeling that this is what I want to do, or even if it's not a moral issue, you just think, well, this is my, I, I, don't, I don't feel at peace. I feel, I feel like something bad's going to happen. And so that's your feeling, okay? Now, if you follow that, it's going to mess your life up. But what you have to do is you have to take control of your thoughts and thus your feelings, just like if you, had a, if you were raising horses and you're trying to break those horses well, if you have a wild stallion, you've got to break that horse. Well, you have to train, you have to bring that horse under your control. We have to do the same thing with our thoughts. And I've, I knew God said it to me one night. I wrote it down in my little journal. It was like God said, if you, look at those guys in the back. They know I was going to be preaching on that tonight. That is unbelievable. So if you put your faith, thank you guys for doing that. If you put your faith in the fact of God's word, then your feelings are going to follow you. But if you don't take control of your thinking, I'm telling you, it's going to be like a ro- your life's going to be like a roller coaster. You're going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, there's so many things that control how we feel. I don't even want to go off into that tonight. A lot of things can control our feelings, but we have to take control of our thoughts. I have a friend, and when she has a, a thought of fear or anxiety or panic, she always says this. She says, thoughts line up to the Word of God. She talks to her thoughts. It's a godly lady. And she'll, give a, she'll, she'll have a thought of a scripture verse. And she'll, she'll quote that scripture passage. Or she'll, sometimes she said the devil will put a thought in her mind. You're about to die. You're not going to live much longer. And she quotes Psalm 91, 16. With long life, God will satisfy me and show me his salvation. And so what we have to do is take control of our thoughts You can do it. You have control. God has given us dominion over everything. We have dominion over the animals. Certainly we have dominion over our thoughts. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we have to take every thought captive. Either you control your thoughts or your thoughts will control you. So the question is, who's in control? You or your own thoughts? If you don't take control of your thoughts, this is a a strange thought. If you don't take control of your thoughts, you'll have to begin to fear your own thoughts. Because you'll just think, I hope my thoughts don't go crazy. Because if my thoughts go crazy, I'm going to feel, I'm going to go crazy. Well, no, you're not going to go crazy if you'll take control of your thoughts. But you can't let your mind just run off in a thousand. You need a disciplined mind. 
just like we need to discipline our bodies so we don't sin, we need to discipline our minds so we don't have crazy, irrational thoughts. It's not of God. Take control of your thoughts and just tell them, thoughts line up to the Word of God and give it a verse. And you, you take control of your thought lights. One lady says, another lady uh, says, that we have to start thinking about what we think about. You have, to, you have these thoughts go through your mind. You know, wait a second. That's not of God. This is not doing me any good. I'm not, I reject that thought. Like we used to, I know we have CDs now, but I guess it's similar with a CD. But like used to, if you were listening to a cassette and you wanted to pop it out, you would just hit the button, the eject, and hear it come out. Same thing with the CD, just pop it out. You've got to pop those thoughts out of your mind or you're going to be in trouble. Number three thing, and you can see why I said at the beginning, it's like a banana. These are all independent sermons, and I'm trying to put it together tonight on how to deal with anxiety because there's a connection. Three, four, and five, I'm going to be very quick. You've heard that before, but I'm going to try my best. Number three Except, this is the last time I get to preach on Wednesday night till January the 9th. i got to get it out of me. Number three, accept where you are in life as part of God's will for your life. That's a big cause of anxiety, I believe. People don't like where they are in life. They're single, they want to be married. They're married, they say they're not happily married. They don't have kids, they want kids. They have kids, they want their kids to grow up and get out of the house. They... I talked to somebody the other day, and he would tell me about a friend who said, the second happiest day in my life was when I bought my boat. The man said, when was the happiest day in your life? He said, when I sold my boat. <laughs> well, that may be some truth in that. But I think one of the causes of anxiety is if you say, I don't like where I am in my life. I want to be somewhere else. I don't like working at Shell. I want to work at Exxon. Well, God may lead you to Exxon, but I would say this. Until God leads you, you need to be content at Shell. You need to be thankful for the job you have there. And uh, somebody, I, I want a different house. I want a bigger house. Well, you get to the bigger house, you may want the smaller house. Look in verse 11. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need. Now watch what, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the most influential Christian who ever lived. For I have learned, notice he learned it. He wasn't born knowing it. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul would say to us tonight, here's one, one thing you can do to lessen your anxiety level. Learn to be content wherever you are. If you're in an old house and you wish you had a new house, learn to be content in that house. You take care of that house. If you're driving an old car, you want a newer car, just keep that car clean and pray about it. But be content with where you are in life. And if you'll just be content, and how do, how do we become content? Look at the point. Accept where you are in life as part of God's will for your life. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's in control of everything? Yes or no? Say amen. Well, if you believe God's in control, that means you have to at least believe that God has allowed you to be where you are. I look out there tonight, and I see so many, especially ladies. And I would almost get emotional if I spend too much time on this. But I see ladies out there tonight whose husbands have died. And I was friends with most all of your husbands, and they were always here for the services. And now they've gone to heaven, and you're still here. And in some cases, it's a wife who died, and now the husband's here without the wife. And I try to imagine what that must be like, having experienced that, you know, been married for that long, and, and to have had that loss. Well, I think if I were a widower, or if you're here tonight, a widow or a widow, a widow, 
I think the only way you could ever find contentment, and I would have to ask some of you ladies and some of you gentlemen to tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I think the only way that you could ever find contentment in living alone after you have lived with somebody for that long, and I know a little bit about this in a different way, but I think the only way that a person could ever find contentment in a situation like that would be if you got to the place where you said, for whatever reason, God has allowed this into my life, and that you would learn to be content. The, the whole key to contentment is accepting that wherever you are in life, a sovereign God, now depending on, the situations are different now. But at least we have to say, God has allowed us to be where we are, wherever we are. May not, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about those who live alone. Whatever the situation that you're in right now, that you say, man, this is tough. How did this happen to me? I can't believe I'm where I am now. Well, I don't know the answer to those questions except to say, I say this, if I didn't believe God was sovereign, I would have lost my faith and my mind a long time ago. But I still have my faith, and most people still think I have most of my mind, not maybe all of it, but most, hopefully all of it, because I do believe that God is absolutely sovereign and that God is absolutely in control. And so tonight, you just have to accept whatever your situation in life, whatever your location is, geographically or circumstantially, you have to see the sovereign hand of God in that somehow, some way at least having allowed it, and then you begin to have peace because then you say, God, you've allowed me to be where I am now. So at least for now, this is where you've allowed me to be. And so, God, that must mean you have some good things to teach me and some ways that I can grow. And so we accept that by faith. And see, just accepting that, you can't, can you see how that lowers our anxiety? Because if a person says, I hate where I am, I can't stand this, I can't believe God let this happen, I can't believe God took my spouse from me, I can't believe this would have happened, well, you're going to be uptight, you're going to have angst. Whereas if you just say, God's in control, I don't understand it all, but God's, Romans eight twenty eight, He's going to bring good out of this, I trust Him to meet my needs, well, that's going to, that's going to just like I said a moment ago, there's a pie, and there's a lot of pieces in that pie that led to your anxiety. All right. Well, there's several pieces in your pie that is going to alleviate your anxiety. And I'm just giving you five of those pieces tonight. And this is a big one. You just accept that where you are in life right now is where God wants you to be for some reason at this particular time. Number four, trust God to help you do those things you don't think you can do. Sometimes in life we all have situations where we think, there's no way in the world I can do that. Well, Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I wish I had longer tonight to tell you times in my own life when I have felt like I can't do that. Or maybe I've been so anxious and I thought, this, I can't do it. And yet, I claim this verse frequently. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is a tremendous. So you just trust God to help you do what you don't think that you can do. And then number five, trust God to meet your needs in His time and in His way. You just trust God. Don't become anxious about, well, when, is, when am I going to get a job? Or, 
you know, when am I going to get a better job? Or when, is my, when are my circumstances going to know? Don't live like that causes anxiety. Look in verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So anything that you have in life that is a legitimate need, God's going to meet it. Now, you may have a desire for something, and you may think it's a need, but it may not be a need. It just may be a desire. And God's not necessarily going to give us everything we want in life. But when God looks at the situation of your life, if, if in God's mind, if God looks at that and says, this, he has a need for this, she has a need for that, they have a need for this, if it's a legitimate need, God's going to meet that need. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, and it's a matter of how. And this is the scripture verse. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so tonight, the reason I wanted to print those things out for you to take home with you is so that you could have it. And you could reflect back and you could think about this night. And when you start feeling anxious, you could take that list and you could say, God, it was a pie of circumstances that got me in this mess. And it's going to be a pie of Bible truth that's going to get me out of this mess. It's going to relax me and calm me down. And you just begin to walk through that list. And remember what Dr. Stanley said, anxiety wanes. And eventually disappears. It vanishes when we put it in God's hands and when we trust Him with it. Amen? Father, I thank you. I feel like this has been a counseling, somewhat of a counseling session tonight. And yet, we need to be counseled. You're the, you're the wonderful counselor. And so, God, I thank you. Every time we open your word, privately or publicly, and begin to study it, always some counseling takes place. Father, I pray for that person tonight who is in the service, but they're very anxious. Maybe even for them tonight, physically, they had a hard time sitting still for this long. And yet they did. By your grace, they did. God, they may have walked in this room tonight and said, I can't even, I can't even be in this service. I've known people, I've had people say to me through the years, John, I came to church and I walked in the door and I, I just, I wanted to be there, but I was going through so many things, I had to go back and couldn't even come to church. The anxiety level was that high. And maybe you were feeling it about that badly tonight, but you just toughed it out and came, to, came in here and sat down. And you got some counsel from the Word of God about how to be less anxious and more relaxed. Now, I'm not going to review that whole list of things, but right there in your pew tonight, whatever it is that's causing you that anxiety, would you put it in God's hands right now? Put it in His hands. Give it to Him. And then say, God, I trust you. I trust you with this in my life. I trust you. You say, John, I just prayed it, but I still feel the same. Well, remember, eventually it will wane. And it will disappear. Going forward after this service tonight, when you begin to think about that, and, and you just naturally will. But here's what I want you to say. When you begin to have those thoughts, I want you just to say, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus with that. I've given that to Jesus. You, that's, your, that's your answer when that thought comes back to your mind. Jesus, I'm trusting you. Jesus, I'm tr I've already given it to you. And Jesus, I'm trusting you.
in a moment during this next song, if you've never been saved, we're going to invite you to come forward and, and give your heart to Christ tonight. If you would like to come and join our church, you can do that tonight, whatever God might lead you to do. Father, I pray that decisions will be made even now that would affect people's lives and eternities. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen and amen.